Sarah, do you ever think about how weird it is that Stan Lee created a character so popular that it somehow normalized the idea that like spider based superpowers were just like an expected thing in superhero comics? Because I have played a decent number of like tabletop games that are like superhero based and stuff like that. If I ever stop to think about it, it's really funny to me that sort of the accepted suite of powers that you might expect in any game that lets you play as a superhero is like your basic like super strength, elemental control stuff, flight, spider stuff, which is just like objectively speaking, not like a normal thing that you would expect, right? But like Spider-Man is like so popular as a superhero that it just sort of normalized like well yeah i mean like of course of course if you're playing a superhero game spider stuff would be something you might want to do that's true and easton i have to say i have never once thought that uh no but you make a valid point and even even in dungeons and dragons and probably the adjacent ttrpgs you get spider walk yeah walk up walls there in first edition Pathfinder, there was a class that came out like pretty late into the that edition's life cycle, if I remember right. It was called Vigilante. And the class was it was really interesting and weird. It was sort of based around having a secret identity. You would get some abilities that you could only use in your like normal persona or whatever. And some abilities that you could only use in your like vigilante persona. Uh And you would get class features and stuff where it was like, unless someone knows your secret identity, like they can't scry on you if they're trying to scry on your like vigilante persona or whatever, like stuff like that. It was it was weird. But uh, at any rate, one of the subclasses for it was just like (laughs) Spider-Man. (laughs) it had like i was saying you know all the normal subclasses that you might expect where it's like okay this one is about gadgets and stealth it's clearly doing a batman thing but also like there are other ways in the game that you could have gadgets and stuff like you could do a rogue build that is like that right there was i think a subclass that had whatever elemental control type stuff like uh, you know human torch or whatever but again Mm -hmm. it's like well, you could play a kineticist and do a similar thing. And then there was a subclass that was just like, you can do spider stuff. You you have webs and shit. <laughs> um, it's, it's just like, it's so, it's like there's one guy that does that, right? Like every other power set, it's like, yeah, every company has somebody that does this. But there's like one spider guy. He's just so ubiquitous that like, you gotta have spider stuff as an option. Okay, but was it was it natural spider stuff or gadget spider stuff? Like, did I don't remember did anymore? They produce web from their body. I I want to say yes, but I'm not positive. Okay, because that that to me is is how I think Spider Man should work. Um, but apparently, web shooters are maybe more normal. Yeah, web shooter is is the traditional version uh the raimi sam raimi movies had the organic webbing and then 
they tried to do that in the comics for a little bit. If I remember right, Peter got eaten by a big spider and then sort of was reborn through the spider's body. And he had like organic webbing and I think some other spider things going on. Um, But that Mm. only lasted for like that run. And then the next writer came in and was like, never mind. (laughs) Never mind. It was just a bad dream. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, comics. But we're not here to talk about comics. Technically, we're here to talk about a video game based on comics. A sequel video game based on comics. It's true. It is true. Yeah. Yeah. Spider-Man 2. Marvel's Spider-Man 2. Right. Okay. Yeah. Spider-Man 2 is uh, legit, but we're on a whole new level here. True. Look, I, I know, I know we want to discuss more of the narrative uh, aspects of this amazing Spider-Man game, but uh, <laughs> I just, I just want to say, having played Spider-Man two, and at that time in my life, asking the internet, why aren't video games more like the cutscenes, and being told that it's you know the limitations of the computers, and then playing a fucking game that is basically all just cutscenes, totally smooth gameplay, like between cutscenes, and, and and oh god, I mean it's like childhood dream come true yeah it's uh it's one of the most effective games i've played in terms of making you feel like the character right like i'm sorry i'm trying to laugh what that's like a (laughs) it's like a meme at this point really feel like spider-man for sure uh but it's yeah it's i've played i'm a big comic book nerd i've played a lot of video games that are like comic book based right i grew up on like marvel ultimate alliance and x-men legends and marvel versus capcom and all of that shit all the old like PS1 and PS2 era Spider-Man games. Yeah. All that stuff. And yeah, this the Insomniac Spider-Man series is by far the most effective at like allowing you to do all of the shit that the character does in cutscenes and in comics and in the movies and all of that stuff. And like it feels good also. Like yeah. it doesn't feel like shit. It is so seamless and smooth and anyway, so yeah, I just wanted to point out how incredible that is to me. And I was getting a haircut a week or so ago, uh, after I got a hold of Spider Man too. And we have a really cool hairdresser. She talks to us about all sorts of things and she was asking about Spider Man. And I mean I just geeked out at her. I'm like, well, the first Spider-Man game I played, you were just on top of buildings and you would shoot webs in the sky and then blah, 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 blah. And like up to the point where we are now where I'm like, the web's attached to the buildings and you can go on the ground. And <laughs> it was just, <laughs> yeah, I digress. I, I've i been replaying the first Insomniac Spider-Man game 
because uh, I finished two and was just like, I'm just going to play the whole franchise again. And this is probably the third time I've played the original game because I played through it once. And then I think I did a new game plus back when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And now I'm playing through it again. And I discovered something that I never knew from my first two playthroughs. Because this time I thought I'm going to be a real completionist and I'm going to get all of the Daily Bugle collectibles, which is like the one aspect that I never bothered with in my previous playthroughs because there's no achievement for it or anything. And they're very easy to miss because you collect them by going up to newsstands on the street and like looking at them oh. and you get the cover of a daily bugle issue or whatever. And then you I might've missed that. Yeah. It, it's like a very small thing. Like I said, there's no trophies attached to it. There's, you don't get like a suit for getting all of them or like anything like that. So I just never really bothered with it before, but I thought, you know, this time, why not? And so as a result, I've been actually like walking around on the streets and it turns out, When you do that, sometimes you'll be walking past a civilian and they'll pull a gun on you. And Spider-Man's like, oh, shit, it's one of like Fisk's thugs or whatever. And like once you get far enough into the game for Mr. Negative to be a thing, like sometimes it will be like a Mr. Negative henchman guy. And uh, yeah, I didn't know that was a thing because I never bothered to walk around the city before. What a bunch of dumbasses. (laughs) (laughs) who thinks that's a good idea uh no that's great though yeah i i i've definitely wandered around because it's so fun being down at the city level just just uh roman roaming not the roman empire um and how often do you think about the roman (laughs) rarely (laughs) and yeah I've, i've never had that happen either that's pretty cool yeah which um speaking of Fisk and Mr. Negative and named characters and whatnot. Uh, this episode is going to be full of story spoilers for Spider-Man 2 and probably some from Spider-Man 1 if we reference it. So uh, yeah, watch out. For sure. And theoretically, possibly Spider-Man Miles Morales. True, yeah. Where do we begin? So let's focus this episode i feel like this is we were both pretty into this game i feel like this is a game that we will probably do multiple episodes about yes i need to do my (laughs) my is spider-man 2 woke (laughs) (laughs) uh (laughs) so for now let's talk about the villains of spider-man 2 because i think that this is an area that the game really shines in. Yes, yes. There was a part that really surprised me, and it was so delightful and gleeful and giddy. But we'll get there. (laughs) Well, where should we begin? I liked the narrative trying to show some of the classic villains have been reformed or given a second chance, and we see that pretty immediately with the lizard mm-hmm yep dr kurt connors Do- a classic yeah. okay 
And uh, and just it's a continuous theme throughout with multiple characters. I mean, not all of the classic villains by any means, but multiple you see have kind of turned it around and and even Peter's a bit surprised by that. Yeah, redemption is definitely a major theme of this game. And it crops up not just in the main storyline, but in some of the side stuff as well. Like you said, the lizard is is a big example of it. I had forgotten that he was already like an established Spider-Man villain in this universe because he's not somebody that you fight in the first game. And I hadn't really played the first game since it came out. So when he showed up in Spider-Man 2 and they're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, Harry's doctor, Kurt Connors. I was like, oh, yeah, lizard time. And then Peter was like, oh, your doctor is the lizard. And I was like, oh, right. (laughs) That is that was already a thing. I forgot he's already a lizard. Um, That's fun. I, I and I also I think a smart choice to bring that character in early like as a as an example of like a redeemed villain because in the comics he is usually portrayed as like not really a bad dude just sort of you know he got himself all fucked up with lizard dna <laughs> like the lizard's bad but but dr kurt connors is is like a pretty nice guy so showing him as like a reformed no longer villainous character is a very good way to bring that theme into the narrative in a way that still feels like very natural to like a comic book fan. Right. Whereas some of the other characters that are shown to be redeemed or that have redemptive arcs over the course of the game are not necessarily people that you would expect if you are coming from comics or, or other Spider-Man media. Right. Yeah. And the way they did it with Doc Connors felt, I think even more natural because it's not just like a doctor at a hospital is uh, treating Harry. It's uh, Harry even calls out that his father, Norman Osborn likes giving people second chances. And so he's privately hired in such a way that, You know, he can have a second chance without necessarily going through the normal channels through society. Yeah, I gotta say, it's slightly weird to me, given the events of the first game, how like non-villainous Norman is presented here, because obviously like he's not the Green Goblin yet. And he's, again, a character that in the comics, like, isn't always necessarily bad himself. Like, Norman is is complicated in that regard, in that uh, by this point, like, yeah, he's just completely, like, irredeemably evil, right? Um, But there was a period early on in the comics where, like, the Green Goblin was like a full-on split personality. And like Norman was a decent guy, like not necessarily like a great dad, but Mm -hmm. um, not like a terrible supervillain. 
which is reflected really well in like uh, No Way Home and like the Raimi verse version of Green Goblin. Yeah. Um, but in in the Insomniac version of the Spider-Man universe, he did still create like a horrible bio weapon that almost like destroyed New York. Which, like, they bring up, you know, they bring up in Spider-Man 2 as, like, yeah, everybody, uh, like, the public, like, has really turned against him or whatever. But um, I felt like, you know, Peter and MJ didn't really seem to have, like, a problem with Norman. That struck me as, like, a little weird, considering, like, he he has done a bunch of bad shit that you do know about. Yeah, that is that is bizarre. Because you, you can explain away a, a lot of things with money, uh, but not the morals of, of Peter and MJ. Although, you know, maybe they're trying really hard not to mix their um their their superhero activities with their personal life and reveal, you know. I mean, I, I guess they would know he did that because it's public knowledge, right? That, that wouldn't just be a Spider-Man thing. Yeah. Yeah. In fairness, I mean, they don't interact with him a lot in the game. So like this is this is not a, a major criticism. And like he also is funding Peter's new company and uh just like saved their best friend <laughs> from like a horrible genetic disorder and whatnot. So I can understand like some leniency. But uh, there's I think concessions that need to be made to make some of the Insomniac universe work. Like I was just, we were talking about this earlier uh, and I mentioned that like replaying the first game, it only comes up once or twice, but sometimes you will get dialogue from Peter. That's like, it sure is weird that Harry hasn't spoken to me at all for the six months that he's been in Europe even though I've tried to call and text him a bunch and he's never, ever responded even a little bit. Oh, well, <laughs> can't wait for terrible. him to get back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess when you're busy being Spider-Man, yeah. you got, got bigger things to pursue than the well-being of your friend in Europe, quote unquote. <clears throat> yeah, I'd, I'd forgotten that Harry was even mentioned in the first game. So that was a good little tidbit to remember. Yeah, he's got a whole series of side quests that are um, very similar to the Emily May Foundation stuff in Spider-Man 2. There's a bunch of little research stations all over New York that he left Peter a bunch of voice memos of how to take care of them while he's in Europe or whatever. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember doing a lot of those little mini games. I just don't didn't remember the context of them. Yeah. But anyway... Lizard. Yes, Lizard, and Harry is back. He is in good health, healthier than ever, for no particular reason at all, just <laughs> raucously cured. Yeah. <laughs> he he went to Europe and just, he had a really nice time, and it rejuvenated him. Ah, <laughs> uh, if only. I like this game's take on the Lizard, and just in general, I think... I really like how Insomniac handles like the Spider-Man universe and Spider-Man characters. I think I think their interpretations of most of these characters are like pretty pretty close to what I would consider like definitive versions. 
And I think Connors is a, a good example of that, where you get a lot of background about how being the lizard has like affected his personal life, mm. which I appreciate. And it matches like pretty well to comics. But the problem with comics, and I I love comic books. I'm a big comic book guy. And like the thing I'm about to say is a problem is also one of the things that I like about the medium and one of the things that makes it unique, at least when you're talking about superhero comics. Um, the problem with them is they don't end. And so like you can't stop them at a you can't have a satisfying conclusion to a character arc, really, because someday some other writer is going to step in and break it, right? Yep. And so the lizard is, I think, in the Insomniac universe, at sort of the point that the lizard should be at, like, kind of the stopping point for the character, in my opinion, which is like, he was scientist guy he had a loving family he fucked around with lizard stuff became a big lizard monster like destroyed his family life um eventually like regained control but you know he's divorced and like doesn't get to see his kid that much yeah but he's like rebuilding his life right and i feel like that's a good arc for that character of like you know descent into villainy rises back up like he's He's paid a price for his lizard-based hubris, but (laughs) uh, ultimately sort of in a hopeful place, right? Yeah. And in the comics, it's like, he had that whole arc, and then eventually other writers came in and were like, but then he turns into the lizard again, and he eats his whole family. Oh no, that's not nice. And then another writer comes in and is like, It was pretty fucked up when we made the lizard eat his family in the 90s. They're back now, but they're also lizards. (laughs) (laughs) But but it's okay because all of them are in control of their lizard bodies and he's not an evil lizard anymore. And all of that stuff feels unnecessary to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, if you are eaten by a creature, you just become whatever. Yeah, you just get that. Eaten by a spider? You're a spider person now. (laughs) Oh, that is a recurring element now that you mention it. (laughs) It's only a matter of time before the rhino is eaten by a rhinoceros. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Doc Connors, he's in a great spot here. Doing good, except one might argue that he didn't truly learn his lesson because now he's mucking around with this black goop that they found in a meteor yeah not the best idea probably probably i think i think generally speaking taking a job from norman osborne is probably a decent indicator that you haven't learned your lesson (laughs) that's true that's true uh you know but when when you're cred uh is that low i mean it's probably hard to get a job as a doctor there's got to be malpractice in there somewhere yeah even if he was his own patient you turn yourself into a lizard (laughs) yeah you certainly wouldn't want 
I mean, that's going to be a black mark on your resume (laughs) for sure. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine applying for a job and the the whatever head of medicine or whatever being like, now um, I see there's a three year gap in your work history. Can you explain that? And having to be like, oh, well, so that was when I turned myself into a lizard, man. And I tried to. do you remember when um, somebody tried to turn everybody in New York into lizards? That was me. Uh, <laughs> and then I went to jail for like six months because legitimately, this is a complaint I want to make about Spider-Man. Um, it's relevant to the games as well, but it's more so something that I noticed in the comic books because after playing Spider-Man 2, I started reading spider-man comics like from the beginning and uh 60s comics are a hoot but there is a thing that i noticed very fast which is that you know whenever they want to bring a supervillain back and have spider-man fight him again they have to explain why they're not in prison anymore after the first time spider-man beat them and sometimes it is like oh they busted out but most of the time it's just like well they just got out of prison and they're back to their old tricks but it's like, this is the 60, this is 60s Marvel, which means it's more or less actually happening in real time. Comic book time doesn't really take effect until like the 70s or whatever. It's still like sort of wibbly wobbly. But I mean, like, you know, Peter starts out as like a 15 year old or whatever. And by the like early 70s, he's like in college and stuff. So like. Time is moving at a sort of kind of similar pace to real life, like slower. But you know what I mean? The point being, it's like, okay, this guy's last appearance was like three issues ago. So in universe, he got arrested for being the leader of a giant citywide crime ring. And he was in jail for a month and a half. (laughs) Like... Like in the real world, like it might not have even gone to trial yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) man. Spider-Man has his work cut out for him. Yeah. It's something I was thinking about the other day because uh, in playing through the first game again, I just got past the tombstone parts. And in Spider-Man 2, like tombstone is another one of the villains that we see has like kind of gone straight and gotten his life together and is like working at Coney Island and stuff. But there's like mm, less than two years between Spider-Man and Spider-Man two. Yeah. And in Spider-Man, he is like a ruthless drug Lord who like you are introduced to with him, like curb stomping a man to death and like spreading a new drug, like throughout New York that is like, turning gang members temporarily invincible and stuff. Man, and he got, like, 18 months for that, I guess. <laughs> like, Yeah, now he gets to work around impressionable kiddos at a, like, go-kart yeah. race track. Right. You know? Like, I, I'm all for, you know, I'm all for uh, rehabilitation over incarceration and whatnot, but it does seem a touch unrealistic <laughs> to me. <laughs> just a touch <laughs> it's the, the <laughs> fantasy of it yeah i mean 
That would be a great place to start up a new drug enterprise, though. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to replay that stuff in the first game again, because like I said, like he's pretty brutal. And uh, if you do his series of side missions after he pops up in the main story, it ends with basically Spider-Man creates like a counter drug to nullify the effects of the drug that makes Tombstone invincible. And they have a big fight and Spider-Man the whole time is like, hey, you should like not be a drug lord anymore. Like, wouldn't it be nice to go straight? And Tombstone's like, no, I love killing people. It kicks ass. It's super fun. It's the only thing I want to be doing. Oh, well, you know, (laughs) everyone can have a change of heart. It's never too late. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, because then, you know, with the Coney Island scene, you see him, like, protecting a child from debris or whatever is going on, some explosion. And it's like, oh, what a great guy. Yeah, I I will say, despite all of the dialogue during the fight uh, in the first game, really feeling like this dude does not have a redemption arc in his future. At the end of it, like, after you beat him, he is like, you know what, Spider-Man? That was a pretty cool, fun fight, and I had a good time. I like you, Spider-Man. Wow. <laughs> Which I guess is maybe supposed to be foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, or at least probably what they looked at to say, uh, who else should we have, like, give a redemption arc to in this game? Uh, Tombstone was, like, kind of cool at the end of his missions. Let's go with that. Yeah, because even... Even Peter, he says it out loud because he's with MJ and Harry at Coney Island and he's surprised to see Tombstone there. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's odd. Even Peter is genuinely surprised by this turnaround. And we don't really get any uh, backstory on how or why it happened. It's just the fact of the world now. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you could probably headcanon something to the effect of like, he lost his like inability to feel pain or get hurt for a little bit. And maybe that made him more empathetic or something like that is probably, you could probably crowbar in a little redemption arc in there that sort of fits canonically. Yeah. I like that. I wasn't bothered by it. And I mean, what he had six whole months behind bars to think about things. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But no, I agree. I, I I wasn't I wasn't bothered by it either. It was a nice it was a nice touch. It was just definitely like funny to to replay the stuff in the first game. Uh, on a similar note, I'm to the point in the first game where like all of the Martin Lee stuff is really kicking off, and um, I forgot how brutal he is in that game. Well, he seems like such a nice guy in his like normal persona, right? Yeah, if I remember right. Yeah, I mean, he's he's working at Feast and trying to improve the world, if I recall. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't I don't remember that much about his Mr. Negative motivations and what he ended up doing. But he sure did have a gang of of uh, angry, fighty people, you know, that's never a good sign. Yeah, that's so that's the thing like that. Playing Spider-Man 2, like, that was basically my recollection, too. It was like, I remember he doesn't like Norman Osborn, and he's got a gang, and I had the vague recollection of, like, he caused the City Hall thing where Miles' dad died. Um, Replaying it again, 
he sends a bunch of people to City Hall with suicide vests, and they all blow themselves up, and then he, like, rolls in with a bunch of dudes and starts, like, shooting all of the survivors. Like, it's really brutal. And then, like, later on, he, like, kidnaps a scientist guy and, like, uh, what uses negative powers to, like, take control of the dude and, like, tell him where, you know, this MacGuffin that he wants is located and then, like, forces the dude to shoot himself in the head. Like, what? he's brutal. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't remember this. I, I didn't either. He's really fucked up. I just blocked out the trauma. No, yeah, he was a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to feed homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that recontextualizes his redemption arc a little bit in Spider-Man 2. But I, I think they handled it in such a way that it works. I do, too. I think the really important thing about Martin Lee that makes his redemption arc work is that even as terrible as a lot of his actions in the first game are, you also have a lot of opportunities to like read his like journal in his office at feast and stuff like that and see that like he is having doubts and like feast is a legitimate effort on his part to make the world a better place. It's not like a front to cover up his criminal activity or whatever. Like it's genuinely a thing that he believed in and wanted to do. There is a somewhat ethical person buried under all of the like revenge um, which I think definitely helps his arc in the second game actually work. Yeah, and for me, and this is a this is a pretty big moment. So if if you listening haven't actually played Spider Man two yet, I don't know, let's get past this or something. But the the big moment where Miles has to decide what to do about Martin Lee, and he says, "I don't forgive you," but. I'm going to move on because we need to get through this, you know, all this chaos that's happening around them as they're trying to work together. And that to me was perfect. Like, Miles doesn't need to forgive this guy for the the shit that he did. And I'm glad that he didn't. Yeah, I, I think it's Miles. And I think this goes a long way towards Lee making the choices that he does after that moment as well. Like, he's clearly already, like, remorseful by this that point in the game. But Miles saying, I don't forgive you, but I can't hold on to this hate anymore, is the thing that Lee should have done, mm-hmm. right? Like, his whole deal is that Norman Osborn was responsible for his parents' death, and he couldn't let go of it and, like, did all of this monstrous stuff out of this like hate and revenge and like he was not strong enough to make the choice that miles makes in that moment to move past it i definitely like it it's not we don't get really any interiority on lee in the second game but i definitely think that that narrative arc must have been like the the intent by the writers right like it's a very smart parallel. Mm-hmm. 
and one that I again like I'm I'm glad I'm replaying the first game because I didn't think of it in that context when I was playing Spider-Man 2. I just thought that's a really good moment for Miles. Yeah, same. Refreshing myself on on the character's backstory in this universe. It's like, oh, that's that's an even better moment than I initially realized. It makes sense, too, because there's a moment, I think, before that, where Martin Lee is like, I don't know what I did to you, kid, but like, get over it. And later, Miles is like, you killed my dad at the city hall. And you can tell that Lee, like, pauses. Like, that actually gets to him. It's not just a faceless crowd. He legitimately killed this young man's father. And I think that, like, hurt Lee to hear. Absolutely. He had a he had a really interesting arc in that game. I really appreciated Miles's whole like plot with him in Spider-Man 2. It's obviously like not the big main focus of the game, but I thought it was a very human story and it's it gives Miles the opportunity to go through like some fairly traditional like hero's journey type stuff, right? Like his moment of indecision when he almost lets Lee drown uh, very like pretty early on in the game and stuff like that. Like that feels like real classic, like superhero, you know, big moment stuff that it's nice to see Miles get to experience. Right. I, I say this uh, kind of jokingly, but is it really you know, murder, if you just passively fail to save him from drowning, that's kind of like the best way to, you know, have it be dealt with and done with, right? Yeah, it's the the Batman Begins, Rachel Ghoul, like, I don't have to, I'm not going to kill you, but I don't have to save you thing. Which, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't think really, like, I don't think that's a great call by that movie. Um just because I feel like usually when uh, when a superhero is faced with that moment, they are kind of supposed to end up on the side of like, well, but I should save them anyway. And not just like, Haha, yeah, <laughs> like that motherfucker died in a train cr- train crash. I could have saved him, but I didn't. Not technically murder. <laughs> yeah. I'm still Batman. <laughs> I still don't kill people. Kind of wink. <laughs> right so miles miles did better (laughs) yeah yeah that um that's a that's an interesting point there's there's a lot of threads to tie up here so there's there's that unwillingness to kill or let someone die as a upstanding hero like peter and miles and and then there's craven so the whole reason that all of these characters are coming to a head is because craven is abducting villains and occasionally the superheroes and making them either fight each other or uh, play the the greatest game or whatever you know where basically he hunts the them. most dangerous game most dangerous game thank you yeah basically the the most dangerous game he's hunting down these villains and i think there's something there a, a parallel of on one hand you'll feel like we shouldn't necessarily feel bad that these villains these bad people are dying but that is pretty bad, right? Yeah. And you see that in the way Peter especially humanizes all of them and won't let them die when he can help it. Yeah. I love the way Craven is handled in this game. It's 
the main narrative arc of the game, at least for the first two acts, is essentially an adaptation of the comic book storyline Craven's Last Hunt, which is, you know, as it is presented here, like Craven has a terminal illness and wants to die on his own terms, essentially. And so he's undertaking this great hunt in the hopes that he will face an enemy strong enough to kill him and he won't die. Like he won't succumb to his disease. Right. He doesn't want to be bedridden and dying such a bleak death. In the comics, I believe he ultimately thinks that he has killed Spider-Man and uh, is basically like, well, that was pretty much my only shot. So I guess this is the only way to go out on my own terms. And he kills himself. That's not what happens here. <laughs> no. But I, I think that this version of Craven is just very good. Like, he's intimidating, and it's a pretty, you know, faithful adaptation of, of the character. Um, his design, like, character design is pretty comics accurate and looks really good. He's just, like, a fun, scary villain who's, like, pretty much just a bad guy <laughs> like yeah. we're talking about how you know there's a lot of focus on like redemption in this game craven is like not a character interested in redemption in any way <laughs> right yeah he so i hated craven not that they did a bad job they did a great job it's like i love to hate this guy i enjoyed the opening where if you're not familiar with the comics and you see this you know pretty buff hunter-looking guy in the jungle you're like oh okay that might be craven and then you see like craven kick his ass yeah and just snap his neck and i'm like oh that's craven okay yeah which i already knew that but it's still a good <laughs> a good little like yeah there's a bigger fish it's a fun like uh like the the first guy that you see actually looks a fair bit like the ultimate comics version of craven um from like that alternate universe um and then yeah he gets he gets killed by like og craven which is very fun <laughs> it reminds me of uh i'm a i'm a godzilla fan there's the american godzilla the the 2000 godzilla not like the more modern uh one from the the monster verse or whatever mm-hmm. um but godzilla 2000 was very unpopular in Japan. Japanese audiences really did not like the American version of Godzilla. And there is a Godzilla movie that came out after that uh, in Japan. I believe it's Destroy All Monsters, if I'm remembering right, which is just sort of a Godzilla just roams the world killing like every monster he's ever fought, right? Like, it's just... Do you want to see Godzilla fight like every other kaiju? Here it is. And uh, at one point he's he's stomping through Sydney, Australia, and just out of nowhere, American Godzilla, who is uh, referred to as simply Zilla, because there is nothing godlike about him, uh, just charges in from off screen and Godzilla tail whips him into the Sydney Opera House and Atomic Breaths him and moves on. And that's the entire fight. I had a feeling that's where this was going. 
Yeah. It's glorious. That, that sums it up nicely. Just, you know, yeah. wander up, snap his neck. <laughs> I've yeah. been tracking you for hours. <laughs> Dead. Here's my thought, and I, I don't necessarily think I'm correct in this thought, but I think Craven actually was afraid to die and didn't want to. Because this motherfucker is like, yes, I need to find the ultimate challenge, someone worthy enough to kill me. And then he brings a whole army and all sorts of obstacles to put in the way of this person instead of just having a fair fight. And he's got the the bell. I mean, he's doing like everything possible to prevent a fair fight. And it just seems to me a very cowardly thing to do. Um, I don't think that's a bad read by any means. I think that Craven really takes the concept of hunting seriously. Like, um, I don't like I don't think that Craven wants a fair fight. Mm-hmm. I think Craven sees all of his opponents as fray. Right. And he's like, he's going to take every advantage because ultimately, like, I think Craven's deal is that he he wants to know that the thing that killed him, there was nothing he could have done. Mm. Right. Like he was going to die in this fight and he couldn't possibly have stopped it Um, because I think that's in his mind the only way that it's like a legitimate victory. Like I, I think Craven would love it if the people he's fighting had as many traps and other bullshit as he did. Cause I think that's part of it for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, we don't, we being humans don't go hunting a bear with our bare hands. Right. So, I mean, it makes sense that, you know, we have guns and traps and we sit up in trees and our deer stands and it definitely is not fair for the prey by any means. It, that makes a lot of sense. I still think he's a cowardly little shit, but I don't disagree with that. Not necessarily by design. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, I did see a lot of people online saying like, why does Craven think that uh, Spider-Man's like not a worthy hunt or whatever? And the response I kept seeing people give was like, because he knows that Spider-Man doesn't kill and that's what he wants is to be killed. And I think that there's probably like, I think that that's a a valid interpretation. But all I could think whenever I would see these like, you know, Reddit threads or whatever saying like, why doesn't he think that Spider-Man is worthy is like, well, the first time they fight, he does kill Spider-Man in five seconds. (laughs) So he like he might not be wrong. <laughs> That's true. He did, yeah, he did like, just shank him. <laughs> yeah. Like Spider-Man runs at him and he stabs him to death immediately. Like yeah, and so we see Craven's list in glimpses and we see people like Black Cat and Spider-Man on it. They are by no means his primary targets. I think those are just like, you know, small fish to right. enjoy the hunt. And I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, Spider-Man is cool and powerful, but, I mean, it is kind of like a hunter squishing a spider while walking through the woods. (laughs) Right. If you're, I mean, if you're trying to, like, fight the most powerful thing and 
your options are like guy who is kind of faster and stronger than normal guy or guy in a giant robotic rhinoceros suit that weighs three tons. Like, yeah, one of those probably seems like a tougher opponent. And Craven uh, does start to respect Spider-Man as a as a potential equal in combat when uh, the Venom suit or the Venom symbiote starts taking over and mm-hmm. makes him stronger and more ruthless. Uh, speaking of Venom, I, again, just really like this version of the character. A lot of people don't like Venom to be anybody other than Eddie Brock. And... I like Eddie Brock as Venom, obviously, like he's the original and there's been a lot of good Eddie Brock Venom stories. And on the whole, if I'm reading like a comic book about Venom, then I probably do want it to be Eddie Brock. But if I'm looking at some other media, like a video game or a movie or whatever, that is like going to be fairly limited in scope and Venom is going to be a villain for an arc. I don't really care who it is. <laughs> and if there's a better candidate for the story that is being told than Eddie Brock, then that's who it should be. And I think having it be Harry Osborne in this game is a totally smart decision that makes a lot of sense and really works well for the story that they want to tell. Yes. And I, so I haven't watched the Venom movies. Oh, good. I should. I should probably get. Oh, good. Yeah. No, you were about to say you should probably get around to that. I disagree. Okay. Well, I still might eventually, but yeah, I haven't watched those, and that, that's Eddie Brock, right? Yes. Yeah. And so I haven't actually experienced any other Eddie Brock Venom content. Uh, I mean, maybe like snippets from video games in my childhood. Nothing I remember. So same Raimi Spider Man three. Was that Eddie Brock? It was Eddie Brock. So I don't think I actually fully watched that movie. I remember catching snippets of it. It's a really weird take on Eddie Brock. Yeah. So I I mean, I have no experience with Eddie Brock. So having it be Harry meant a lot more to me personally. Uh, and I genuinely cared. I'm like, if anything happens to Harry, I'm going to be mad and sad. <laughs> and I, I mean, I even texted you about that. I'm like, here's what I think might happen. And I don't want it to happen. And Harry's really cool. This is maybe the only adaptation of Spider-Man I've ever seen where I actually believed that Peter Parker and Harry Osborn were close friends. Really? Yes. Like, I don't know. The the Sam Raimi movies are, like, okay at portraying that friendship. Except that, like, even before he gets all goblin-y and stuff in the third movie, Harry is, like, trying to, like, steal MJ and stuff. Like, they're they're like okay friends but not like i don't super buy them as like best best friends and then like the amazing spider-man uh amazing spider-man 2 when dane DeHaan is harry osborne fucking sucks <laughs> uh i don't even remember it oh yeah uh, i i don't know anything about dane DeHaan as a human being um i'm sure he's a perfectly nice gentleman um, I'm going to put an asterisk there because I know literally nothing about him. So if he has been embroiled in some kind of like uh, <laughs> horrible scandal or something, I don't know about it. Um, so just, you know, 
keep that in mind. Um, I'm about to say he's probably totally fine. And uh, if he has done like some weird sex stuff or something, um, I don't know about it. And that's terrible. But (laughs) my point being, I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to I don't want to trash talk the guy, but um, I hate him as an actor. Uh, I think uh, I think that on screen he is a black hole of charisma and the second he showed up in Amazing Spider-Man 2 I was like well this motherfucker is evil and everyone should know it by looking at him (laughs) like (laughs) there's no way that these two are close friends he's a demon like he's a demon (laughs) oh wow uh, Half of his dialogue in that movie is just like, give me your blood. <laughs> like, he sucks. <laughs> blood. Uh, no, I, uh, I don't remember shit from that. I'm pretty sure I watched The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Maybe I didn't. It doesn't matter. What matters, though, is that, <laughs> is that Harry and Peter really do have great uh, friend chemistry in this game. And it, it really sh- shows you that. It makes you live that kind of hmm yeah i their relationship's just so nice i like the flashbacks to them in high school harry is like a genuinely very thoughtful friend like he sets up this whole foundation like not only in honor of his mother who the previous game established that he was like very close to and her death was like very hard for him but also you know, it's it's equally about Peter's Aunt May um, and stuff like that. Like, he's just a genuinely swell fella. And it it makes the whole his whole arc so much sadder and more effective. It really does, because you have someone who has the money and the actually true good natured uh, goals to change the world like he really does want to make the world a better place, no strings attached, and also has the money to throw around and do that. And then Venom happens. Yeah. It's handled so well. I love that I love that we actually get Harry as like Agent Venom for a while. Um which for people who aren't familiar with the comics, because I don't know that it's been adapted in any media outside of this uh prior but there was a period in the comics where the venom symbiote was bonded to uh flash thompson which is like peter's bully in high school who then like joins the military and eventually like uh loses his legs in combat some where along the line um and then like he eventually bonds with the the symbiote and becomes agent venom who's like just a straight up good guy uh and has kind of a more sort of like military uniform style appearance as opposed to like the big scary venom that you generally see when like eddie has the symbiote and so seeing harry as that for like a little bit uh was super fun I liked the sort of slow buildup of Venom as a character throughout the game. Like, you know, initially Harry just has like the all black suit and then it starts to like 
pick up a pattern from Spider-Man and then like it goes to Peter to save his life after he gets stabbed by Craven and that suit like evolves a little bit over the course of Peter having it and then it turns into just straight up comic book venom and is terrifying. Yes. Yeah, oh man. That's so cool. And for context, uh Venom is the reason Harry has survived his, as you put it, genetic disorder. And so Harry comes back from his quote-unquote trip to Europe better because of the Venom suit. And giving that away to Peter, or having it taken away by Venom's own will to be given to Peter, is just like massive. Because that is actively keeping him alive. Yeah. And I love how that conflict is handled because it's not Harry is not like immediately resentful or anything. He's very happy that it went to Peter because it saved Peter. He's not like immediately like, okay, give it back or whatever. Like he's not because Peter doesn't know how to give it back is, you know, a a big part of why it's a problem for the middle chunk of the game. And Harry doesn't, like, blame him for that, right? Like, that's not the source of conflict between them. He doesn't think that Peter is, like, trying to keep it for its for himself until really late in Act 2 when Peter basically outright tells him, like, no, I just don't want to give it back. Yeah, I'm a better Spider-Man with the suit. You don't really need it. We'll find a different cure for you as Harry is rapidly declining. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I-, I really... Because I was worried when Peter gets the suit, like, kind of by accident, that, like, that was going to be where Harry, like, started to turn. Um, But he didn't really. Like, it wasn't until Peter had gotten, like, actually pretty much evil (laughs) that Harry, like, started to actually resent him for it. And it's like, at that point, yeah, fair. Yeah. The scene where... Peter like really snaps on Harry and MJ and Harry is like literally like taking medicine to prolong his life. And Peter yells at him for popping pills is like, God damn. Yeah. <laughs> this like, is uncomfortable. It, yeah, it was it was nasty. He's like, pop more pills and tell me how you really feel or something like that. And just storms out. I'm like, that's not OK. No, I. uh Peter, under the influence of. The symbiote in this game feels much more effective than like Sam Raimi Spider-Man 3 Peter into the effects of the symbiote where he's just like dancing bad and wearing black suits. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I have I have a burned into my memory, like going to see Spider-Man 3 in theaters as a child, because that whole like bad the bully mcguire section plays out (laughs) and like the theater is all just sort of like kind of like laughing and like what the hell is this and then he slaps mj and the whole theater goes dead quiet and one dude towards the front just goes oh snap (laughs) and i've (laughs) never forgotten that oh that's great (laughs) Yeah, this is a a much better Venom from what little I can recollect of Spider-Man 3. Uh, 
oh, just the 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 re- the reveal, like when we actually get Venom Venom. Yeah. I was as it was happening and you know the camera angles were kind of changing, I'm like, do do we am I gonna is this happening? I didn't think it would, and then we're playing Venom. It's the single like best like Spider uh, I mean this is recency bias and also I haven't finished Baldur's Gate 3 yet but I think Spider-Man 2 has got to be like my game of the year 2023 simply because of how mind-blowing that entire sequence of events was like the night that I played it it was like this game just keeps topping itself I I fired it up pretty late into like act two and i basically was going to like the craven fight with peter Mm -hmm. and so like that night of gameplay was like awesome fight against craven that i was like this is legitimately like a difficult boss fight it's interesting there's a lot to keep track of it was um like you need to dodge and parry and like web up the bell and like fight these other guys like it's a hard fight which made it really satisfying to win and then they follow that up with having to fight peter as miles which is just like thematically and narratively an extremely cool moment um that feels totally earned after like miles has had a full game of his own and you know his segments of this game and then the really great narrative moment of Peter freeing himself from the Venom symbiote. Yeah. It was such a cool turnaround, though, because you're trying to stop the bell while you're playing Peter. And then when you're playing Miles, you're trying to ring the bell. And you see Peter's, like, webbing it up. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So good. So all of that's so cool. And then, yeah, for realsies, Venom shows up and, like, they do a they do a really fun thing where immediately after Harry has become Venom, the the camera moves behind Peter in a way that implies you are about to have a boss fight with Venom. And then Norman just runs into the middle of the room. and It's like, don't. <laughs> and then, yeah, that cutscene plays out. And yeah, the camera spins and you're Venom. And I was just like, no fucking way. <laughs> No way. And then you get to play through that whole awesome Venom segment. And then you fight Craven, which is another great boss fight. And they cab that off with like the whole Venom section. I was like, ah, boy, I'd really like it if he bit, bit someone's head off. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> right. a very classic Venom thing, right? Like. It's one of those things that I think in the comics only really happened like one time, at least like when Eddie Brock was Venom. But it was like such a big thing that it has become sort of like a memetic feature of the character that he eats brains. (laughs) And so the whole time, like every time I did a finisher or whatever, and it would start like an animation I hadn't seen before, I was like, oh, were you going to bite a head? Um, And it doesn't happen. And I... You know, at a certain point, which is like, ah, they, I mean, it's like a T-rated game. Like, they probably can't really get away with doing that. Um, and then you bite Craven's fucking head off. And I was like, yes, yes. Yeah, it, was, it was in like a slightly obscured way. So it wasn't super gory, but it definitely yeah. happened. 
Yeah, you you get it like from Venom's perspective. So like you you know what is happening, but they get away with like not really showing. Like you can see his body, Craven's body, immediately afterwards, like in a cutscene, but it's from like an angle where like you can't really see where the head would be anyway. It's like <laughs> you know what happened, but they do a good job yeah. of like not putting it right on screen. And that was that was so satisfying for for so many reasons because like for one thing on normal settings enemies are kind of sponges they have a lot of health you have to really beat the shit out of them to defeat them even the basic ones but then when you're playing as venom you can just fling people around like the controls are very similar to playing spider-man except you are massive and you can just like hit people with people and throw people at people and i mean they're just out of your way and then you get the satisfaction of killing Craven without having Peter sully his hands. Yeah. It's great. It's, yeah. It, it, like, it's like every half an hour, like, something even cooler than the last cool thing happened. And I was just, like, on cloud nine. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> and, it, I mean, we we didn't talk about this, but it opens. The game opens very uh, in a very strong way, except for the kind of, like... In a science lesson that we get to hear beyond that you get to fight sandman in his like full giant sand form oh, yeah and it's like an epic sequence of events and and that's how the game starts mm-hmm. sandman's also kind of redeemed as well yeah yeah for sure but it, it just it keeps getting better yeah from that uh, venom being venom sort of using harry's like goodness against him by like convincing him that this like hive mind is like the the way to save the world and stuff is pretty smart i i think it's very interesting like venom here uh personality wise like the symbiote is definitely like quite a bit different than the comics but uh, i think it works super well he gets to just be like a a scary weird alien they don't over explain like what his whole deal is, which again, like I was talking about earlier with like the lizard and how like comics don't get to be done really. Um, and so like Venom is another example of that where it's just like, yeah, he's initially just a creepy, weird alien symbiote. Right. And he hates Spider-Man cause Spider-Man rejected him and that's why he's bad. And then later they retconned more, I guess not really retconned because they just hadn't talked about the origin of symbiotes prior to this, but like they reveal that like there's a whole planet of these symbiotes and stuff. And it was a whole storyline in the nineties. And then later they retconned that like, Oh, well uh, actually symbiotes are all really nice. And uh, the venom one was just bad because of other reasons, but they fixed that. And he's nice now too. Cause Eddie Brock has him, or uh, cause flash Thompson has him and he's agent venom and he's a cool guy. Um, and yeah, symbiotes are good guys. In fact, and then later they retcon that again to be like, actually, there's like a weird alien space god and he created all the symbiotes. And uh, that's a whole thing. And I like that the game is just like, I don't know, he's an alien goo guy. He's bad. Yeah, he came (laughs) on a a meteor and and uh, he was cool for a moment healing Harry and then things went downhill. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we need. That's it it can just stay there. (laughs) <laughs> it, it dramatically changes the game too. Uh, uh-huh. Sections of the city become 
all goopy and venomy and and uh yeah all the a lot of the enemies are symbiote little monsters that you have to free the people from it's pretty cool how they handle that yeah i i like the uh sonic gadget like is super effective against them and Peter gets like the the anti venom suit and all that stuff. Like yeah. they do a lot of fun little gameplay things. That was pretty cool. Um, while we're talking about symbiotes, we should touch briefly on the Flame series of side quests. Yeah, that's that's where I was gonna go next. So eventually, Venom is defeated and separated from Harry and locked away, right? So that is done with. But then there's the flame. Yes. Which I know nothing about outside of this game. I don't know if they're something from the comics or what. Oh, I don't remember the leader's name. What was his name? So they give him a bunch of names uh, after the last mission. Um, Yuri reads off a list of aliases that he's gone by. Mm. Um, The one that should be most familiar to people who are... Uh, who know this character outside of this game is Cletus Cassidy, which is the villain Carnage. Yeah, so I, I'm only vaguely aware of Carnage, but when when the train scene happens and there's this red-tinted uh, goop in a vial, and he <laughs> says, let there be Carnage, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, like it, it connected, but I, I didn't know leading up to that moment that that was connected at all. I, I was kicking myself because, so there are four flame missions for the first three. I was like, man, I wonder where this is going. Like, it's for sure going to be some big Spider-Man villain, right? Like, um, I'm just not sure where it's like, is this going to be like a Mephisto thing? Because they're all like fiery and culty. So is it going to be like a cult of Mephisto or like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was trying to think of like what Spider-Man villains might be involved in like a cult. And it just didn't click with me at all. And then in the, the final act, when you get like the call from Yuri, that's like, hey, the fourth flame mission is available. Like by that point, like half the city is like symbioted up. And uh so you get that call where she's like, oh, yeah, the the flame or whatever. And I just immediately clicked for me. I was like, oh, God damn it. This game has fucking venom in it. This is carnage. Like <laughs> he's got fucking red hair and everything. Like there's like two Spider-Man villains that have red hair. And one of them is like Fisk's dead kid. Of course, it's fucking carnage. Like, how did I not immediately figure this out? <laughs> His whole background is that he's a serial killer. God damn it. See, I, I felt I knew, so dumb. I knew nothing about Carnage other than Carnage exists and is a red venom, if you will. So that was uh, quite the quite the reveal. But I, I uh, okay. I I hated that guy though, and I kind of hated <laughs> Peter at times because you have Wraith, Yuri, not the voice actor, voice actor, but the <laughs> the police officer from the previous right. game. Yeah. Like, she's trying to get this guy off the streets rather violently. And I'm all about that. You know, there's dialogue from her that's like, you didn't see the, like, bodies that he mutilated or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, that's good enough for me. And we know he's definitely 
the guy that he is guilty. He's even like on screen talking to them. Like, yeah, just Peter, step aside for a minute and let let her kill him. And he won't. <laughs> I'm like, you dumbass, just go away. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that I that's one of the major reasons that I uh, wanted to replay the first game, actually, is because I vaguely remember there being a story beat where she like leaves the police force and like kills a guy and sets, you know, starts down the path that leads to her being Wraith in Spider-Man 2. But I don't remember why. Like, I don't remember what leads to that point. And I'm I haven't gotten there again, like in my current playthrough. But I I'm very interested in in getting that whole story as like one you know playing them back to back and and seeing how that yeah i would like to know as well because i can't remember i barely remembered who she was at all (laughs) she's badass now that's for sure but yeah man it was just so frustrating seeing uh cletus is that what you called him yeah cletus cassidy seeing him escape while race and spider-man are fighting each other over the fact that spider-man won't let her kill him and now he's on the loose yeah at that moment in the game um one other there are a couple of other side quest chains that involve kind of big name spider-man villains and one of them fits in again with that theme of redemption which is mysterio yeah and I I thought that whole quest chain was interesting. Um I haven't actually I haven't actually finished the Mysteriums. Oh, okay. Um it they they were interesting, but they were also a little frustrating uh for me in a way that a couple of side missions in these games have been this is like a common issue with video games i feel like which is that it's very easy to figure out as the player where this is going Mm -hmm. and the characters don't figure it out fast enough for me (laughs) my my theory is that these are on purpose how do you mean I mean, I don't think he's entirely innocent in what's going on with the Mysterium's malfunctioning and it seems quite Mysterio. I see. Well, I will not spoil it since you haven't finished it. Okay. But I, uh, we were talking um, earlier today about one of the other side missions where I have a similar issue of like the dialogue when you accept this mission and I don't want to go too far into it because I think we're going to talk about it in a different Spider-Man 2 episode, but the dialogue when you accept this mission makes it pretty clear where the mission is going to go. And then Peter the whole time is just sort of uh, joyfully oblivious to what is very obviously happening. And then at the end, he's like surprised by it. And it's just like, I don't know. I feel like that particular thing happens a lot. Like I've been before Spider-Man 2 came out, I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey because I'm finally going back and finishing the Assassin's Creed games that I haven't played. And there's uh, 
series of missions, side side quests in that game about fighting in the arena and the dude that you talk to to like accept arena challenges or whatever. The first time you talk to him is like, yeah, I used to be like a big cool arena guy, but I've like lost my passion for it or whatever. Now I don't even watch the shows. And like from that piece of dialogue, I was like, (laughs) okay, so the last person I'm going to have to fight in the arena is this sad old man. And I'm going to have to murder him in the arena. That sucks. And like, that's what happens. And it's like, (laughs) you know, you get to that last mission and he's like, you've got one more challenger, Missios. And, uh, you know, your character is like, oh, who could it be? And he's like, a real legendary arena fighter who hasn't fought in the arena for years. It's going to be a great match. And player character is just like, huh, cool. Wonder what that's about. And then you get into the arena and player character is like, what? It's you? And it's like, who the <laughs> fuck did you think it was, stupid? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Of course it's him. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's a, a need to make the characters that dense or that unassuming, right? Like, I don't think it would have detracted from the moment in that particular quest uh, in Spider-Man or in or in Odyssey. To have the characters in on it and understand and and handle that accordingly. Yeah. Also, there's a villain we haven't talked about that I think is important to mention for the, the continuity of our own episodes, and that is Scream. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. That fight never and that the fight would not end. <laughs> it just kept <laughs> going, just like the Scream franchise. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And during the fight, MJ has a red right hand. <laughs> that she does. Oh, man. Okay, so Fran Fran has gl- glimpsed a bit of this game as I'm playing it. And she's like, oh, of course, the female symbiote looks like that <laughs> and fights like that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Oh, you don't. Uh, uh, do you think there's something cliched about. <laughs> Boobs about... and hair. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i mean the blame there i think we can displace onto 90s comics <laughs> sure yeah i mean you know it didn't it didn't really bother me much but it was a, a good call out yeah oh for sure yeah i was i'm not as super plugged into like all the symbiote stuff like i know venom and carnage and i know i like i knew that there were a handful of other symbiotes from like the nineties that none of them seemed to have as much staying power as those two, but I knew that they existed. And so when Harry like breaks in to the house and, uh, goops up Mary Jane, it was like a, (laughs) it was a cool moment for like comic book nerd me to be like oh this is gonna be one of those other guys that i don't remember the names of scream i guess all right cool (laughs) like yeah the only reason i knew it was scream is because i had subtitles turned on yeah it doesn't ever explicitly say like you're fighting scream it uh it's also a it's a nice there i think one of venom's very first story arcs maybe his very first story arc 
involves him like kidnapping Mary Jane. Um, so it's a nice little like tie in to, to that storyline, which is fun. And it was a good therapy session. Yeah. Which other villains did we want to talk about? I can only think of a, of a couple. Although we did see at the very end, uh, a bit of a spoiler for Endgame stuff. Doc Ock and Norman. Norman visiting the prison. Oh, that was great. That scene fucking kills. I was, I fully expected when I was getting to the end of the game, I thought, you know, we're going to end it with sad Norman, etc. And then there's going to be credits and then there's going to be a post-credit scene where he, you know, makes a call and is like, get me the goblin juice or whatever. Well, <laughs> um, well they, they did. He did order the G serum. That's 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 what I was about to get to, though, is like, that's not even the stinger. <laughs> like, that's just yeah. that's just in the regular game. Like, I was expecting that to be like the the little tag at the end. But it's it's not. They just do that. And then the for real stinger is the prison scene, which is so good. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he like he wrecked my boy or something like that. He ruined yeah. Harry. Yeah, the Spider-Man ruined my son. And Doc says good. And I was like, good. Damn, ice cold Otto. Fuck yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, it was it was rough. And is it like canon that Norman Osborn is a narcissist? He strikes me as a like clinical I, narcissist. I believe so. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just that language, like he ruined my son, just seems like a very narcissistic phrase. Yeah, because it's not really about the way it's framed. It's not really about Harry. Yeah. It's they took something from me, and that's why I'm mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we just we we briefly got to see Black Cat, who I don't really consider a villain. Oh, yeah, she's like an anti-hero. That was super cool. Because, uh, so Ratchet and Clank advertised the technology of being able to, like, portal places rapidly. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, they took that technology and just dialed it up as you are chasing her through these portals. And swinging past the, like, iceberg. Yes. (laughs) Oh, so good. Uh, But we didn't really get to see much of Black Cat after that. Yeah. Good stuff. I yeah, it's so good. I uh, I really like this game. I'm so excited to see where it goes next. Like whether you know this game gets DLC or if they do another like in between kind of side game like Miles or if we just go straight to Spider Man Three from here or whatever. Like I'm down for any more content that they want to put out for this universe. Me too. I'm I'm ready. I'm hopeful. I uh I can't believe I don't know why it never even occurred to me that Doc Ock would come back. Um yeah. And I was I was so pleasantly surprised uh in that stinger and it it was another moment of like oh yeah, of course. Like yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um I I love the dynamic between Norman and Otto in like the first game and the idea of the two of them 
just absolutely despising one another, but teaming up to kill Spider-Man in a third game is uh, fantastic. And like, I'm just really curious to see how it is going to play out because I'm sure that I, I I think the implication is certainly that they will work together to some extent, Mm -hmm. but also like they do hate each other. And like Doc Ock is not going to tell Norman who Spider-Man is and stuff like that. Like, it's going to be really interesting to see where those two go next. Yeah. Drama. Yeah. It would be wild. And I, I don't think it'll happen, but it'd be pretty interesting if we got the superior Spider-Man for a moment. Yeah, it would. That would be pretty dramatic, especially when you already have Miles acting as like a primary Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. So you still have a heroic spider-man available yeah that would be a lot to figure out yeah but yeah i'm really looking forward to playing more and i'm looking forward to uh a couple of other episodes we have planned surrounding spider-man too because that's gonna be fun so if for sure okay well i have a closing question for you sweet favorite comic book villain i'm not good at favorites um (laughs) These are supposed to be easy, but I feel like I need a, a, a head start. <laughs> Spend another 30 minutes. I'm like, I can't think of a single villain. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I genuinely can't think of... I mean, I can think of probably like, yeah, there's the vulture, blah, blah, blah. I gotta, I gotta say, again, reading these like old 60s comics is so goddamn funny because the scale of superhero comics at the time was so different. The first appearance of the vulture is like has all this like narration at the start and, you know, panels of people looking up into the sky like, my God, what is happening? The world's gone mad. And it's got like narration boxes like, you know, this is a there's a terrible threat stalking New York skies. It's unlike anything anyone's ever seen. Surely it is the most terrible villain the world could conceive. It's an old man, man who flies. <laughs> <laughs> that is <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. It's like it really builds him up, but then it's like, yeah, that's his only power. He just flies. That's all. That's rough. Yeah. What's your least favorite comic book villain? Oh. Yeah, I'm not really good at least favorites. Um, <laughs> like, what what comic book villains do I know? Are um, you just like parodying me? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, okay, this prob I don't think this actually uh, is like my least favorite, but um, they did a weird thing several years ago, like back when I was reading comics regularly, where they did a whole like Venom event. Um, that was kind of like Spider-Verse, but it was for like, here are all these alternate universes where like different people got the symbiote suit or whatever. So it's like symbiote Doctor Strange and symbiote Captain America and symbiote Devil Dinosaur and stuff. Um, and like the bad guys in that were called like poisons or something. And they were just like weird guys that like eat symbiotes and they look kind of symbiote and I don't know if they're around anymore 
Um, it was weird. Poison venom. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, you know, those are some of my least favorites. I would say I like most comic villains because mostly they're kind of goofy and dumb, or like legitimately threatening and interesting. I feel like there's, <laughs> I feel like there's very few that are. I know some people don't like the super goofy characters. You know, like some people are like. Kite Man and Condiment King are like too far. Like it's too silly. But eh, I love those guys. <laughs> uh, this isn't it like the jokester or something. The tricks? No. Yes, the trickster. Yeah, trickster. It's a Flash yeah. villain. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? Flash has some guys that I don't really like. starts essentially is like Catherine Cole just freezes this dude's legs and like shatters them just walks up and like kicks them and shatters them and leaves this dude like on the ground bleeding out with no legs <laughs> and Johnny Quick is like what the fuck and Captain Cole's like oh yeah I could do this to regular Flash I just don't because I respect him <laughs>